Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. Our reading this morning is from John chapter 4, verses 31 to 38. John 4, 31 to 38. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I send you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. Now I hope I didn't lose any of you by asking you to answer a couple of questions. I can imagine it could be quite scary to be answering a couple of questions, especially if you don't know what's going to be taken and used by those questions and where we're going to go with them. But I thank you so much for some of the answers. As you may appreciate, I haven't had long to flick through that many of them or to look at them in detail. But for the one person who said that I find it quite easy to chat to people, and I'm talking to people most days about my faith, I think, why aren't you up here doing this this sermon instead of me this morning? For another one who says, well, I hardly see anyone at all. My heart goes out to you, and I'd love to be able to chat to you afterwards and just find out are there ways that we as God's family can help you in terms of those that you are seeing. Rest assured, I am not a natural evangelist. I know there are some people, and they'll wake up in the morning, and the first thing they'll be thinking is, now, who can I tell about Jesus today? And all day long, they are looking for people and looking for opportunities. So I'm employed as a rural missioner in some ways. I wouldn't think that my natural gift is that of evangelism, or talking to people about Jesus and just sharing my faith with others. A woman once approached the great evangelist D.L. Moody to air a grievance. D.L. Moody was a 19th century international evangelist. And she said to him, Mr. Moody, I don't like the way that you do evangelism. Well, I'm sorry, ma'am. Let me ask you, how do you do it? She replied, I don't. Moody then responded, well, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. Now, I know that many of us will have styles and ways and things that we find easier to do and maybe more natural and fitting our personality and character than others. Rico Tice is a senior minister for evangelism at All Souls Langham Place. Now, imagine with a title like that and maybe even a name like that and an establishment like that, that this would surprise you what he then goes on to say. The problem with being an evangelist is that some people assume you find evangelism effortless. But I don't find it easy and never have. For me, telling people about Jesus has often been nerve-wracking. But it has been joyful. Nerve-wracking, but joyful. And maybe many of us can understand what he's saying as far as that's concerned. 
Now, when I look at our culture and the society in which we live in, I think a number of you have articulated this on some of the answers you've given on the post-it notes. We're British. We're reserved. We respect one another's privacy. We like to be a little remote at times. We have our high offences. The more wealth that we have, the more space that we have, and maybe even the more time we have. Not wanting to offend one another. We're stoic. And sometimes we're critical. Now, as I just look at the journey in many ways that the church in the UK has been on over the last couple of decades, it's quite easy to see that there's been a proliferation and a raising up of various types of ministries and works that all the way across the nation. So we see food banks now, we see street pastors, and Christians Against Poverty, children's and parents and toddler group, lots of initiatives that have been raised up over the last decade or so. And churches, in many ways, have begun to have partnerships with local authorities and central government. But one of the things that that sometimes has meant that we've had to do as churches, that we have said, we won't proselytize, we won't necessarily talk to others about our faith. I had a friend of mine, a British gentleman, who came back to Britain after 15 years working as a missionary overseas in Thailand. And I thought it was quite perceptive what he said. I cannot believe a change within the British church. But one thing I have found is, overall, we've stopped telling people about Jesus. We've stopped talking about Jesus. Yes, we may have our food banks. We may have our Christians Against Poverty. We may have all these initiatives that are starting up. But for many of us, we've stopped talking about Jesus. Now, that is not actually reflected on the post-it notes that you've um, handed in this morning. I'm really encouraged by what I'm reading in some ways. I'm seeing hours, just a few days, even a day or two, last night, lots of different times very recently for when many of you have taught about your faith. Now, the gospel is challenging It should challenge the culture in which we're in. It should challenge ourselves. And it should challenge ourselves as a group, as as a body, as Abergavenny Baptist Church. And I can remember listening to David Ollerton. David Ollerton was a gentleman who was born in Lancashire, spent a number of years working with Welsh um, chapels and churches to the extent that he learnt the Welsh language and learnt to, to, to preach in Welsh as well. And he was talking about his time in Kevin Cribble in South Wales, where it got to a stage where they're having baptisms every week. This had become the norm as far as Kevin Cribber is concerned. He was then talking to some church leaders up in Bala, faithful men of God who love God, loved the word, and were preaching and faithfully serving him days in, weeks in, weeks out. And for some of these gentlemen, it was 20 years since they'd seen someone come in to their church and come into membership or come a believer What is the norm that we are faced with? The gospel is to challenge our norm, our norm as an individual, our norm in terms of a culture, our norm of what we'd expect. And even within Abergavenny, we may think, well, this is normal. But we can't accept what is normal. We still need to allow the gospel and the message of Jesus to challenge that which we consider to be normal and to challenge my own culture and what I accept as well. Now, one church leader had said before he was involved in the mission that was taking place, and some of us may identify with this, I had to recognize that I had become indifferent to people who didn't know Christ. My heart had become cold. 
I also had to recognize that I had lost confidence in the power of the gospel to change and to transform people's lives. I'd been around church too long trying to fix broken people, helping people with doubt and unanswered prayer, and struggling with my own stuff and disappointments. Did I still believe that just one touch from the king would change everything? Now, on Friday, I was out for a walk near Monmouth, where I lived, and I picked up a dandelion. And here's a fine specimen of a dandelion. And uh, when I picked this on Friday morning, there were so many seeds on it. It was, a, it was a dandelion in full bloom. And I thought, I'll try and protect this dandelion. So there's a little bit of wind on Friday morning. So I cut my hand over the dandelion to try and protect it. By the time I got the dandelion back home, there was about a third of the seeds still left on there. And I put it in a safe place. I didn't want anyone to be touching it or doing anything with my dandelion. And here we are on a Sunday morning. Yes, there are a few seeds on there, but there's not a lot of life within the dandelion. And I thought in some ways, it can be quite an example in some ways. The one thing I'm aware of, this dandelion, the seeds will naturally flow off the dandelion. You don't need to pick up the dandelion and blow on it for the seeds to disappear. The dandelion will do its work as it's in the soil, in the nutrients, as it's in place. The wind and nature and the seeds will disperse. That's the same way, I believe, with the gospel in some ways. There's a naturalness. There's an everydayness about the gospel. It is relevant for each and every situation that we may find ourselves in. It's to come up naturally within our conversations, one with another. If we, like the dandelion, can grow distant from God, it doesn't take us long until we may be indifferent as far as the gospel. The gospel's ability to work in my own heart, the gospel's ability to work in my own life and create a hunger and a passion within me and a desire just to share Jesus in whatever way that may be with others. For those of you who like points, there's four points for this morning's C, D, E, F. C for culture, D for discipleship. So we're on to D now. And for many of it, you ask that question about not necessarily knowing what to say. There's a church leader in Ireland, and he encouraged every church member to ask the Lord for an opportunity to lead one person to Christ in the coming year. The main feedback he received was that a lot of people wouldn't know what to do or what to say. A very practical and a real issue. Are we, as his people, do we know? Are we confident? Would we know what to say? Would we know what to do? And that has been reflected in part as well on some of the answers that have come in. So they developed a simple tool, a set of cards that could help people. Now, I heard recently about a 70-year-old gentleman who comes to faith in Monmouth. And his life had been transformed He knew nothing about church at all. He had no connection with believers at all before there. But his life had been completely changed. So my next question was, well, is he telling others about all that's happened? The response that came back, oh, no, he's not doing that yet. It won't be for a little while later. And I'm thinking, well, we've all got a story. We've all got that opportunity. And if this gentleman's life has been transformed, I'm beginning to wonder, well, why isn't he being encouraged to talk about the things that Jesus has done within his life. This Samaritan lady, when she went back to the village, 
her response was to tell everyone, come and see a man who's told me everything about me. And this is repeated so many times within the gospel stories. Jesus had to go to people sometimes and say, be quiet, don't tell them that what's happened. He instructed them where to go to, who to go to, and what to do. But for many of them, they just forgot, look, I've been healed. Look what Jesus has done for me. It was flowing out of them. It was so easy. It was so natural. They could not help or contain themselves and say what Jesus had done. Now, when I was younger, I can remember going out on a a Sunday morning to see fishermen who travelled maybe about 45 minutes to fish in my little village in North Wales. And they'd be there with their fishing rods. They'd have these large nets. I don't know why they needed nets so large, but they did. They'd have their maggots. They'd have their flask of coffee. It'd be cold and frosty on a Sunday morning, and they'd be there fishing. Now, at some stage, I learned how to fish. It wasn't necessarily just by watching these gentlemen fishing that I learned how to fish. It had been a case of trial and error over the years. Now, would I give up fishing if I didn't catch anything? No. Would I give up fishing if I dropped one? No. Did I give up fishing when that eel climbed out of my bucket and slithered down the side and went back into the brook? No. Did I give up fishing when that one time, to get the best position, I stood by the brook on a little bit of land, there's no bushes anywhere near, and I was standing there fishing away, the land gave way underneath me, and I fell into the brook. So I walked back home. I'm, I don't know if I was a teenage boy at that particular I was a young boy. I did not want to see anyone else. I was a little embarrassed about what happened. I was soaking wet. My wellies were making that squelching noise that only wellies can make when you've got water in. Did that put me off fishing? No. Did the experience of going, I think, to a little Scottish port and going mackerel fishing on a summer holiday once put me off fishing? We went out on this little boat to fish for mackerel, and then we were told at one particular stage, I'm sorry we're going to have to abort all fishing this morning because there's another boat that's in trouble a little bit further down the coastline, and everyone's going to have to go and rescue this boat. Now, as a young kid at that particular time, it was windy, it was gales, there were storms, there was wind, there was rain, the waves were splashing in. I was scared, but did that put me off fishing? No, because the thrill of catching a fish, the thrill of being able to get a fish on the end of the line and reel it in, it was fantastic. I loved it. I'm not a regular fisherman now. But in life, there are things that can put us off and sharing and talking about Jesus. Let's accept that. We're not always going to go out every time and have great conversations. It's not always going to be easy. There are going to be people who will reject us. There are going to be people who don't enjoy having their comfort zones and their culture challenged. And yet, it's not to put us off in that sharing of the goodness of Jesus. And we're also to be practical about it. I could tell you and show you a few things about fishing on a Sunday morning. But there's limits to what I can teach you and show you about fishing inside the four walls of a church or a chapel building on a Sunday morning. And I found that in life, I was 21 until I met anyone who talked to me about Jesus outside of the four walls of a chapel or a church building. I went to church for every Sunday of my life, from what I can gather from the age of whatever, until 16. And then at 18, I went once when I was in university, then I stopped going. 
But I think I was 21 until someone talked to me about Jesus. I didn't know Jesus was interested in anything at all that happened outside of the four walls of a building and was only interested in Sunday. I, I just couldn't commute as far as that's concerned. And there are people who are wanting to know about Jesus. Jesus' model isn't a case of the four walls of the building. It isn't a case of just within a limited time. He'll do it, like he did it here, this example. Then he sends out his disciples. He chats about it. They learn from the errors. They learn from their mistakes. He'll watch. They'll chat about it. And then, after three years, he sent them out. Lots of trials. Lots of errors. Oh, but the importance of how we need one another if we're going to learn about fishing, if we are going to be becoming experts as far as fishermen is concerned. Now, when Peter was called, he wasn't called because of his expert fishing ability. He'd been fishing all night. He caught nothing at all. And around that time, Jesus said to him, listen, come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And he's chosen each and every one of us. And it's not because of our great, natural, super fishing, practical ability. He's chosen us because he loves us. And in relationship with him and one another, he'll teach us how to catch men. C, culture. D, discipleship. E, examples. Many of us, we need recent examples of what has happened in terms of our faith is concerned. When I started as my, in my work as a rural missioner, one of the songs that came into my mind, it comes from the end of Psalm 27, and the words of the song are, are along the lines of, I would have despaired unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have despaired unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And for each one of us, we are needing to know examples of God's goodness that will take our hearts from that susceptibility to be despairing, bring us hope that we too can believe to see his goodness in the midst of our lives, in the midst of where we're at. So it's as a result of this that um, I had this booklet produced and it's called Stories of Hope for Rural Communities, 12 stories of people, practical examples of where people have been struggling. One gentleman, his son committed suicide, two, their partners left them, someone lost a teenage brother, and that they found the faithfulness of God. 2,000 of these have had published the hope of encouraging us all in our rural communities that God's goodness is available in the land of the living. We all need examples. I went into the Nationwide Building Society recently. I used to be with them, the Smile, for about 15 years, internet banking. I went into Nationwide Building Society. And I'd always had a, a good chat to this one lady in the, in the bank. And uh, she asked me on this particular occasion, what do you do for a living? Now, I've been an accountant, and I've also been a missionary in my time. So I have learned that they are two of the things that are not the best of things in terms of a conversation starter, to say that you're an accountant or you're a missionary. And working for the church at times can also be a, a complex thing. So I think we have to be creative sometimes. If you're retired, don't say you're retired and you just sit around all day. Try and think of a creative way of what you do with your time. So for myself, this particular time, I've learned that, um, well, I... 
I help chapels to think through how they can be relevant in terms of today's culture at this particular time, which is a part of what I'm doing. So I'm not telling a lie, but I'm just telling a part of what I'm doing. And people are fascinated as far as that's concerned. I'm going to be putting on workshops just so that we can practically talk with one another. Where are we struggling fishing-wise? Why do we not want to go fishing? What is it about my own heart? What am I struggling in? What are those experiences that have really put us off? And then finally, F for fears. But I believe as we have more and more examples, we'll come alive. And just like at this particular time, Jesus had seen one Samaritan woman respond, and yet he began to talk about harvest. He was tired out. He was worn out. The disciples couldn't understand when they came back to him. Why was Jesus talking to this woman? He was tired. He was needing food. But he'd found strength in doing what God wanted him to do. Yeah, he might have been naturally tired, but he was supercharged just in doing what his father wanted him to do. I don't know what to say. I don't have the gift of evangelism. Isn't that kind of work reserved for missionaries? I'm more of a teacher than an evangelist. Some of the reasons, the fears you may give. Lots, I could go on. But do you know what? In no time at all, someone can go from saying they're not actually a believer. I think of my own example. When I came to faith, even in the hours leading up to coming to faith, I didn't believe there was a God. Naturally, intellectually, I didn't believe. But God is working in my heart. He was drawing me to himself. He was giving me a hunger and a passion for life and something that was different. Don't always take on board what someone may tell you. See and trust that beyond there, there is a hunger, there's a desire to come to know God. So for myself, I do like to possibly use the same words a few times. So for me, it'll be, did you know that Jesus loves you? And he's got a great plan for your life. I found that as a great conversation starter. So just a few questions. Some people just mentioned about questions. I just wouldn't know what to say. When you get to heaven, what will be the first three questions you will ask God? What do you think would probably surprise most people about you? Has anything ever happened to you that was dramatic, personal, or spectacular enough to cause you to be certain there is a God? who's both infinitely and personally caring? And what are the two or three major truths upon which you have based your decision-making? Someone mentioned they just didn't know what to say when they come to people. Maybe rehearse, maybe plan. It can feel a little bit forced to begin with, but in time, let's all encourage one another. God is at work. We're all needing examples of times when he's worked in our lives recently and encouraged us. And I find no greater joy than seeing people come alive when just one person is responding as a result of them finding boldness and courage to go out and to share something of the goodness of God. Father, I know that among us this morning there will be those who are extrovert, there will be those of us who are introverts, there will be those of us who find it easy to talk with others about Jesus. And then there are those of us who find it tough. Father, would you encourage our hearts? Would you work in our hearts this day? 
for those of us who've made it's baby, it's been years since we find the grace or the strength or the courage to talk about you. Would you afresh work in our hearts? Help us to deal with the fears, the reasons why we may not. Help us to be practical and learn from one another. Afresh, would you fill us, Lord, with your love and your passion. Help us to be those who would share the sea, who would learn and find examples here and now today of your goodness in the land of the living. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.